Hello, and welcome to Shakes Pod, Silicon Valley Shakespeare's podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Duncan, SVS pr- production manager, actor, director, stage manager, glitter unicorn, whatever you want to call me. That's cool. Um, and today's episode, we're going to be talking to some amazing female stage managers in the Bay Area. So let's go around and introduce everybody. Alex, would you like to go first? Sure. Uh, hi, my name's Alex. Um, I've been stage managing in the Bay Area for about three years now. Um, and before that, I was stage managing for about three years uh, in Canada, uh, which is where I'm from. Um, so I've worked at various different companies, both in Canada and the Bay Area. Um, Bay Area-wise, I specifically um, have been kind of booked up by uh, South Bay Musical Theater and Silicon Valley Shakespeare for the past few years. And then I've also worked with some children's companies um, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's go to Chrissy. Hi, I'm Chrissy. Um, I've been stage managing for almost four years now. Uh, actually, I think I just hit my four year anniversary in September. Um, I am working only in the Bay Area, but I worked with uh, Dragon Productions, Silicon Valley Shakespeare, and a couple other theater companies around the area. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. And uh, last but definitely not least, we have Michelle. Hello. Uh, so I've been stage managing now for a wee bit over 20 years. Damn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're going to make you a plaque. <laughs> <laughs> a little while. Uh, primarily just in the South Bay, definitely just the Bay Area. Ranging from Silicon Valley Shakespeare back in the way back when it was Shady Shakespeare, um, City Lights, Sunnyvale Community Players, Bad Company. Also did <laughs> some very interesting stuff with Epic Immersive, so branched out a little bit outside of the box theater and did some stuff there. And a bunch of others that I forget because it was early in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> the 90s don't count anymore, yeah. apparently. <laughs> I feel you. Um, all right. So, uh, you know, we just wanted to get you guys together because, um, yeah, uh, I feel personally that stage managers don't always get uh, asked questions or <laughs> get to talk about what we do. And, you know, I've been in theater for a lot of years. And every time I tell my parents that I'm stage managing something, they get that look of like, oh, like they're proud of me, but they have no idea what it is that I'm doing. (laughs) So uh, what do you all think? What is the one thing that you all wish that people outside of theater or even if they're inside of theater, but they don't stage manage, what's something that you wish that they knew about stage managing? Hmm. I I feel like for the folks inside of theater, they generally seem to get it. Certainly after they've done one show with the stage manager, they tend to get it. For folks outside of theater, I've found a way, at least in Silicon Valley, that certainly resonates is I'll often describe what I do as being a project manager for the theater. Only it's a little more insane there's a lot more pressure and you get to use creative problem solving in ways you would never imagine. And duct tape is your best friend. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I um I'm an executive assistant like IRL, I guess <laughs> in real life. Um and I leveraged my stage management skills to get the job because they were like, when have you ever needed to fix something on the fly? And I'm like, let me tell you, do you want a literal fix something on the fly story? Cause I got that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I definitely, that's also kind of how I explain it. I'm just like, yeah, I'm just the overall admin of the show that just kind of, but it's admin on steroids kind of because there's so much more. It's, it's a job that does defies description in a lot of ways because I, I tend to describe it as like you're the glue that keeps the show together um and your toe is dipped in every single pool including pools that you did not know existed um <laughs> and if anything goes wrong it's kind of your fault even if you had never heard of this thing before it's still kind of your fault and you need to deal with it um but because I think outside of theater, there's such clear, like, this is your job description. This is what you do. This is someone else. But theaters tend to not have as much money as um, businesses. And therefore, um, your job goes from being, you know, yay big to yay big, which I just realized this is a podcast and nobody knows what I just did. But I made my hands go from little to big. <laughs> that's, that's just, I, I mean, I think in a corporate world, there would probably be two or three people doing this job and it would all be very um, spread out. And when you have several ASMs, it does, at least the way I um, run things with ASMs, ASMs are assistant stage managers. Um, I do kind of try to set job descriptions. I'll usually put one in front in charge of like props and the other one in charge of costumes. And I tend to kind of... Um, let them take charge of that and of course I'm there as like a supporting role and um and I um manage <laughs> um but I tend to less be hands-on when um I have assistants um I very rarely actually worked with two assistants if not any um so it it just the the job depends so much on like how big the production is, how big the company is. If you have assistants, if you have a cast of 30 or if you have a cast of 10, um, casts of 10 are so much nicer. <laughs> casts of four are even more dreamy. Oh, yes, the oh, dream. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. The dream. I think like one thing that people don't realize too is just like the amount of hours that go into our work that they're not seeing yeah. too because I've had to talk to a couple of people and they're like oh wait so you're just there for rehearsal I'm like no I get there early I set up I'm the last one to leave I write reports and then I like go on and describe all the other things I do when I'm not at rehearsal or on the clock or anything so they're always just like mind blown with just the amount of stuff that they'd never thought anyone would have to deal with that you're suddenly working on all the time yeah too People always. Yeah, I've, I've. Sorry, go ahead. Oops, sorry. I was gonna say I've had to tell a few actors who you could tell it was early on in their acting careers, and maybe it was the first show they've ever done, and they say a similar thing of, "Oh, well, you're only here during rehearsals," and I usually respond with, "Well, that would be like someone telling an actor you only work during rehearsals, but really." outside is when you're doing so much of the work of learning who the character is, memorizing lines and reviewing what we've done. 
And then they start to understand that, oh, there might be more that happens than what I see. Yeah. Yeah, especially like, I, I think another thing that people don't realize is the stage manager is literally the one person who is there 100% of the time. You are there from the first production meeting or the very first uh, audition to like 30 minutes after strike where you're locking up. Um, and so I think that, yeah, the time thing is definitely something that I don't think people realize. Um, I volunteered to assistant stage manager show. And so I knew that if I did it voluntarily, I could submit hours to my job that would like do like a, 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 mon a monetary donation to them for the hours that I worked. I worked it out and it was a musical and I worked 350 hours <laughs> on this one musical. That's only like three months, like, you know, from rehearsal to end. And so. And that's the, as the I, assistant stage manager. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just kind of like, it's, it's mind blowing sometimes even to myself when I sit back and I'm just like, Oh, Oh, wow. I do do a lot of work. I should ask for more money. I was going to say, don't ever calculate your hourly wage. Oh, it'll no. just make you cry. No. You, can't, you can't, there's no point. There's no point. And like, no. and again, <laughs> it's one of those things of like theaters don't have very much money, which that's why theaters are in a constant problem of like people get burnout because they ask a lot and theaters are always struggling, you know? Hey, yeah. yeah, we definitely, I, I, I will say, I think stage management more than almost any other job you really have to have like a love for what you're doing yeah. because yeah that burnout that stage management burnout is real so how do you all kind of take a step back and either unwind if you've had a stressful rehearsal or how do you get yourself back in that headspace if you're feeling that burnout whether it's during a show or right after a show wine helps um <laughs> I was going to say, that's yeah. where, I mean, not to encourage drinking, but that's usually where the line of, and this is why we drink. Yes. <laughs> I definitely I like, always kind of like, sorry. sorry. I can always like feel it coming. Like if I'm working on a couple of shows in a row, I'm like, okay, it's time. I am taking a break. There will be an actual break between one show and the next show. Doesn't always happen, but <laughs> you feel it out. And then just taking some time off is what helps sometimes too, even if it's just a couple of weeks, or just like, I just need space in between to like not worry about other people's lives. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I found it took a few years to find the right balance. Cause at first I thought, okay, maybe if I only do three shows a year, but then it was figuring out how much of a gap do I really need in between shows? And what's really hard for me, learning how to say no. So that when I'm working on a show, and someone comes to me with a show and I'm like, oh, I really love this theater company. I'd really love to work with them. But it would overlap by a week. Learning that my mental health is more important and saying, love you guys, but I can't right now. Oh, does that um, mean that in 10 years I'll be able to say no? Is that, is that what I'm getting? Hopefully, <laughs> yes. And, and you, you might laugh, but I swear I feel it took me about Honestly, that long. No, so. it's so hard. And I feel like it's hard. I, I personally, anyway, and I think a lot of theater people do, we have 
intense fear of missing out. So if there is a show that I can be part of, like, I am so paranoid that if I say no to this show, then I'll just be out of work for the next year, which has never happened ever because right. everybody needs right. stage managers and things will fall into my lap. I'll be like, oh, you know what? I have like the next three months off. And then all of a sudden someone will email me and say like, oh, a stage manager dropped. Are you available? Always, always. Like I, I have never been too long without stage managing gigs. Um, acting is a whole other story, <laughs> um, but that's a different podcast. Um, but it's, it's always like this fear of like not having projects, not doing anything. Like it, it's just, um, well, I think that's where I've learned. It's helpful to figure out which of the theater companies you really enjoy working with the most. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, finding a stage manager matching to a theater company, it's, it's a personality fit. So there have been plenty of theater companies that were great. I love seeing their shows. They're amazing. But my stage management style didn't necessarily work so well with how they wanted things done or what they needed to be successful. So after trying a bunch of different theater companies and kind of finding the ones that you fit best, then I found it was helpful to really work with the production manager or artistic director to look at when they announced their season to look at them and say, okay, which shows would be interesting? And instead of waiting for them to ask me to do a show, being proactive and reaching out to say, hey, here's the, you know, one or two shows in your season I'd really love to work on. Um, Because then I got to control my schedule and it really helped with the the missing out because it was a matter of, oh, this is the one I'm most excited about in their season. So I'm I'm not missing out on anything. Yeah, I find that's super helpful. I've, um, I, some of the theater companies that te- like I tend to try to book me every year, they do, they, they'll tell me, um, kind of what the shows are and they'll kind of be like, what are you interested in? Blah, blah, which is wonderful. I love that they do that. It's so thoughtful. Um, and then I tend to be booked up like the next year tends to be booked up like right around when people are announcing their seasons, um, which is, nice and also not so nice sometimes because sometimes I there's other things I'd like to do and with theater um the hours are so not conducive to doing anything else um so sometimes it's a little constricting and then also sometimes it's like a I can breathe I have I have things I do have a question for your um you Michelle um just because you've been in this since the 90s do you feel like you put more or less time into stage managing with the changing of technology? It feels like it's about the same, yeah. but I'm significantly more efficient. Mm-hmm. So whereas once, um, like in the late 90s, early 2000s, before everyone had email and I would actually have to call actors to tell them a rehearsal schedule. And there, there was a lot of phone <laughs> involved. Yeah. Whereas now I've found like, I'll make a website and say, okay, here's all the rehearsal information. And I'm able to put a bit more of the responsibility on each of the actors to say, go here. Um, kind of like some theater companies will have a phone line that actors have to call into to see if they're called or not, that kind of thing. Um, so I think it's a matter of figuring out how to use technology to help you be more efficient. But um, 
Yeah, unfortunately, there's still just as many hours, just as many things to do. <laughs> well, and, and I just find like I, I, I'm always available. Like smartphones, and God, I sounded like I'm 87 years old saying smartphones. Anyways, um, <laughs> but like you're always available. So like I'll get phone calls or texts or emails at all times, and I'm expected to answer them right away. So I don't. I find that, and this is a problem in many industries if we don't have business hours anymore. So I find even it, like if I tallied up all the times that I'm like answering emails or like dealing with things on the fly, just outside of rehearsal time or even like the half hour or an hour before um, that like equity standards gives you, whatever that means um, for this context, um, it, it just, it never stops. I'm always on call, um, which I feel like probably wouldn't have been as big of a thing in the nineties. It's part of it, I guess, is it comes with setting boundaries. So yeah, I have my phone on me. Any designer, director, actor knows they can reach me. But honestly, if someone is t sending me a text message because the actor is freaked out that their prop isn't quite right or what have you at 11 o'clock at night, I'll read it. Be like, yeah, I'm answering that tomorrow. Yeah. So part of it is working to set those boundaries and you don't want to just randomly decide. So those are conversations I'll try to have with the director beforehand or, you know, at the first rehearsal to just kind of say, okay, guys, you can always reach out to me, but believe it or not, I'm human. And sometimes I sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always have a like first day of rehearsal, like speech prepared. And that's like one thing that's like been worked into my speech is like, Hey guys, just remember, uh, I work a 40 hour a week job. Um, and there's going to be times where I'm not going to be able to answer you until rehearsal, but that's fine. We're dealing with theater, not missiles. It'll be <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, I think setting those boundaries are definitely, it's definitely a good thing to do. And I think one thing that stage managers and probably particularly female stage managers really have to walk that line of being the morale booster and like sort of, I always joke that I'm windy to like a bunch of lost children <laughs> where like you're part of the fun, but also every once in a while you have to be like, did you do your work? Did you do it? Because I feel like you have to walk this line of being like the morale booster cheerleader, but also being like the stern mom every once in a while. Um, and I don't know if there's anything that you guys want to kind of like say along those lines, but it's just, it's very, it's a very interesting line to walk. I think I had a really, really good stage manager coach um, when I was in university. Um, and she, she always said that the stage manager is the one who sets the tone for the rehearsal, um, which is funny because I always thought that it would be the director, but because the stage manager is the through line, like the director leaves opening night, they're done. They are drinking in the parking lot, checked out, goodbye. Um, but I think knowing, for me, knowing going into rehearsals, knowing that I am the one who is setting the tone and the through line for it all, um, has definitely made me come at stage managing almost with empathy. And I think um, safe spaces and fun is the way that we get 
really good things out of actors. So that's kind of where I come from. And I do like, gosh, we all hate having the conversation of like, hey guys, don't be late or call me if you're running late. That's a crappy conversation to have. And I think I have to have it every, every single show. And I get it. People have lives, whatever. Just at least tell me if you're running late, you know? Um, but yeah, I think, I think I just try to come at it as like, what is the most conducive to this? And I don't think that me walking around with a stern face and being like, go over here, is particularly useful for that space in a different space. Sure. Um, I also always want people to be, to feel comfortable to come talk to me about problems. Um, especially in theater, you ask a lot from the actors and it's very vulnerable, vulnerable process. Um, and like someone should be able to come up to me and say, Hey, this costume is awkwardly tight around my stomach. I feel like it can't move. The costume designer loves it. And I don't feel like I can be this confident badass are we allowed to swear on this (laughs) (laughs) we'll fix it in post bad butt person (laughs) in this costume and and i think the stage manager is kind of the person you go to in those settings um being a mom is is very much i think the best description. I'm not a mom, so I can't actually say that. I'm a pe- I'm a pet mom and I come at my pets in the same way. <laughs> well, but it, but I do feel like it's an accurate description because like you're having fun and then you also have your like you your actors and honestly, let's be let's be honest, the staff as well. Oh. They are your children and sometimes you have problem children and sometimes you like someone's throwing a temper tantrum and you're just like, okay, let's, uh, let's, let's fix this. <laughs> just yeah, the, much. <laughs> the, be- the best is when you get the house manager throwing the temper tantrum oh, <laughs> and, oh, <yes>. <laughs> and you're like, all right, it's sold out. There's a whole bunch of people here. Okay. Let's calm you down. And oh yeah, do what the whole show thing too. <laughs> I actually find I have more of like people managing with the staff usually than the actors, especially in this setting of like, it's semi-community or like it's community theater with a twist, you know, semi-professional. Um, and so the actors I find are just so in love with the job and are just like focused on the job. Whereas the staff is oftentimes overworked, underpaid. And so that's where you start to like have the cracks of especially like designers of tech week. All of a sudden they're like, I have 300 hours of work to do still and no resources. That's when we, we tend to start seeing the breakdown a little bit. Also, everyone's job is basically to support the actor. Like the actor, if everyone's doing their job, just has to focus on their job, which is a blessing. No one else in theater has that experience. <laughs> That's, and it that's really, yeah, no, that's really fair. Um, and you know, one of the first shows I stage managed, I think the best advice that I got, because you know, when you, when you stage manage your first show, like you're like, I got this, I know what I'm doing. And then explosions, but and, I think and then one, you find out, you know, nothing, yeah, you know, nothing. You know <laughs> literally zero. It doesn't yes. matter how many times you've run through scenarios in your head. Like it does not matter. But like one of the best bits of advice that I got was, um, a happy crew is a good crew. Yeah. And I think even more so than the actors, I'm very protective of my crew. Mm-hmm. 
because I feel like when they're not like your, your designers, um, there's a bit of built-in respect that comes from the actors to designers. But sometimes I feel like crew, your backstage crew, your props crew, like whatever. I feel like sometimes that respect isn't necessarily built in. Yeah. And like, I get super protective of my crew. Um, and so that's another thing that I've worked into my speech and I'm like, you're going to treat my ASM and my backstage help. Like you treat me and I, I don't tolerate shenanigans against my crew. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, It's one of those, it's good to set that tone early on because it's true. I, you know, I'll casually on that fine line between joking and serious mention, you know, what happens when you piss off the crew, you don't get any of the stuff you need on on time that chair that you have to sit on oh it didn't make it in the set chain <laughs> like yes the crew is professional enough that no they're not going to do that but somehow like talking to the the cast about that can help remind them of right just like you don't piss off the stage manager because that's how the blackout suddenly comes before you hit the big note in the the your solo none of us have ever done that <laughs> No, no, never. <laughs> we would never. We only joke about it. <laughs> well, so this is actually a funny story from college. It was one of the shows that I managed, and um, I did not get along with the lead actress, and that's fine. It was college. It's fine. Um, but her and it was a musical, and her and the lead dude had, uh, you know, a romantic song, and all of all of the stage was in black and they were in a spotlight. Well, the thing is a spotlight was a fixed spotlight. It wasn't something that somebody was controlling. And I have no idea to this day how it happened, but somehow the spotlight got raised a little bit. So only his face was in the <laughs> And let me tell you the amount that she yelled at me afterwards. She was like, I can't believe you moved the spotlight on purpose. And I'm like, that didn't happen. But if it had, it would have been kind of funny. <laughs> That's where you just thank the theater gods and whatever oh theater ghost was involved. Karma. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I kind of have this like saying that I almost have a um, crazy to talent ratio that I'll put up with. Like a little bit more talented you are, I'll put up with a little bit more crazy. But there is that threshold where I'm just like, no, you're too crazy. I, th I think the diva thing is like Ugh. my Achilles heel with my patients. Yeah. It really is. And I honestly don't mm -hmm. care how talented you are because it it is a part of theater that annoys me. It really annoys me that if you have the talent and or you're drop dead gorgeous, you can kind of get away with anything and you'll keep getting work. And it drives me insane because honestly, I do not get paid enough to deal with crappy individuals i and none of us do honestly i think the only way that we're all going to continue theater is if we enjoy doing it and people make or break that experience there are companies that i have walked away from and i was like goodbye for good because i was treated terribly and like it was a toxic environment stuff like that and no matter how good like that sh the show specifically i'm talking about like won awards it was a really good show and i do not care <laughs> like i'm I, that was a terrible theater experience for me and people were the reason for that. <laughs> oh, that, and that's, that's really, lots of thoughts. I was going to say, yeah, that's, that's really the key 
because I've found whether, well, in truth, I've found the more genuinely talented an actor or singer is, the less likely they are to be a diva. So the more professional they are, the less diva they are. I mean, the when I think of the equity actors I've worked with mm-hmm. or professional opera singers I've worked with and the experience I had with them, they were the ones that were most likely to say, hey, can I stick around and help you fold chairs after rehearsals? Or they were the ones that were more supportive and helpful, and which I appreciate because they're leading by example. So generally I've found biggest divas I've had to deal with, it's almost like the amount of diva is equivalent to the amount they're trying to compensate for something. Whether or not, you know, they aren't really talented or they are talented, they just are afraid for whatever reason. Um, It's very interesting that the less professional the actor, the more likely they are to be a diva. And I don't mean less professional in terms of, oh, they're equity or not. It's how they, their attitude, the less professional the attitude, the more potential for diva. But one of the things I've, I've learned is as a stage manager, we can help change that. So in terms of having those diva actors that continue to get cast in the same theater company, it's part of our responsibility and job is to make sure that we communicate to casting managers, to artistic directors. So not just to the director, because yes, they saw it, they kind of went, ah, but making sure you're communicating to the folks that run the theater company and not doing it in the moment because, you know, you're too angsty and emotional, but make the notes and then depending on some of the problems I've had with some divas, like I've had to say it during the rehearsal process and I've tried to catch it early enough on that if their attitude was so bad, we could replace them. Hmm. Or at the very, usually what ends up happening is like, well, we're too far along before you really see those true colors. So it's making sure, let me document things, share it with the artistic director or, you know, whoever's making those hiring decisions. Um, to let them know, here's how they were treating people, not just me, but chances are, if they're being a diva to you as the stage manager, they were probably throwing some attitude to the crew, to maybe fellow actors, um, and that more often than you'd think, the weight of what our words carry is pretty heavy to the point I know there's been a few actors that weren't ever considered again because I, I had said something. Um, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I speak up. Yeah. I think that the one thing that I, cause I, I have talked to a few high schools before, like theater classes, just to be like, this is what stage managing does. Um, and one of the questions that I kind of get is like, oh, what's the one tip that you'd give to anybody going into theater? And I'm like, be nice to everybody because you do not know who's going to be on the other side of that casting table the very next show you're working on. And I cannot tell you, I'm exactly Michelle, the amount of times that like someone has left an audition room and a director has looked at me and been like, didn't you work with them? And I'm just like, oh, oh yes, I did. Let me outline to you exactly what happened. Yeah, You were great. That, no. <laughs> that's, that's where I always think it's so funny that 
during auditions, I love showing up to auditions because as the stage manager, it's amazing how invisible we are. And the actors don't realize like when we're sitting in the lobby hanging out, we're also watching how you're talking to each other. And not that we're sitting here going, ooh, they're talented, they're not. Like, no, that's not our job. But we'll notice the person who's being really rude and mean or the one that's being very thoughtful and considerate. And when it comes time for casting, like I would never want to influence the director's decision in terms of who is more talented. But when they're looking at two actors and they're like, oh, we really like both of them. If one of them was a jerk, I'll say, hey, by the way, I'm kind of getting the jerk diva vibes from this yeah. one. It's like, you know, I never wish ill for any actor, but at the same time, it's that mama bear, right? Like I'm going to be protective of the entire cast. So if I can do something to make sure that the entire cast is all going to play well together, then you got to say something. I think yeah. I won't forget like the first time a director asked me an opinion on a person because it's just, it was one of those moments where you learn how important you are to some aspects of the theater when they just turn to you for the first time and say, what do you think of this person? Did you notice anything? What is you, what feelings are you getting? And they're asking for your genuine input of like, this is what I, I've noticed. And they take that into account to help make their decision. And it's just kind of shocking, but kind of like, I don't know, a welcoming feeling like, oh, I'm important. This is one of the things I'm here for is to make sure this place is a good space with good humans. And like my opinion is validated and like part of the project as well. And just... It's just a mind-blowing experience the first time it happened. <laughs> the first yeah, time it all, ever happened. All the, yes. the first time it ever happened to me was with SVS at the auditions. I was helping running the auditions. And it was either Angie or Tom. I'm not sure which. But they walked up to me and were like, so is everyone treating you nicely? Are there any, any bad apples? Any bad attitudes? And I was like, oh my gosh, people care who they work with? Like, this is amazing. And <laughs> Honestly, and I don't know if SVS just has the reputation or if I've just been really lucky, but I've never dealt with huge diva jerk bases with that company. And I, no. I, yeah, I, it hasn't been a problem. It hasn't been a problem in the rehearsals. I've never been treated poorly. Um, and I'm, I'm also very protective of my ASMs in particular. And they, I've always said, like, come to me if there's any issues. And there hasn't really been, um, specifically with that company. Um, there's always like moments of high tension, um, which is kind of normal in this field, um, but never. Say, that's tech week. Yeah, right? yeah, but, <laughs> but never anyone who I'm like, you just suck. <laughs> <laughs> Awful. Yeah, and I think another thing, you know, besides just the company, I have actually found that yes, there's definitely few companies that I will work for time and time again, but there's also a few directors mm, in yeah. particular. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the things that like the, the, I have a will not work with list as well. And that's mostly filled with people as opposed mm -hmm. to um, companies. But I think especially when you find a director that you just click with as a stage manager, um, because technically I'm it's retired magic. from stage managing, but there's like three people that like, if they're like, hey, do you want to stage manage? I'd be like, yes, Diane, my love. 
I'm here for you, whatever you need. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel that that's true, that finding that good connection, the stage manager, director relationship, it's magic. Like, oh my gosh, the clouds part, the lights shine, they're singing, it's glorious. Um, Which those are the shows that then help me get through some of those other times when the director makes me want to crawl into a hole and just hide. (laughs) Yeah. I think I remember one of the, like, it was in the first couple of shows I worked on too. I just had that magic experience and I haven't been able to work for this director since, but they were actually two co-directors because they were both in the show. And like, we met an hour before the first rehearsal to just kind of chat and see where everyone was at with like responsibilities and like, who was going to be working on like specific things, like if a certain person contacted them, who was to be involved. And like, within like 10 minutes, he's like, oh, you're going to be great. Don't worry, we're going to have a good time. And like, we did, we had that great experience where it just like flowed, there was no tension, it was just like, a, all right, we're going to work so well together. And it turns out happy. And you're like, yay. <laughs> Even the fact that that initial conversation happened bodes well, because I've had so many times where like the director comes in and it's like, oh, hey, yeah, you're my stage manager. Great. And then it's just like focused on the cast, focused on the actors. And I'm almost like an afterthought, which is never a good sign because a stage manager is not an afterthought. <laughs> like they, they are your partner. And if you are working with your stage manager and you're just like throwing stuff at them once in a while, it's just not going to be as smooth of a process. It's we're human beings. We're not robots, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. My favorite is, uh, there are some directors that like, Oh, I've worked with a couple times and it's just, you have to figure out how to take notes for them because like my, there's, there's some directors (laughs) who will just like, go up to actors on a stage and they'll be having a quiet conversation oh. and I will just hear words like yeah we'll get this prop for you and I'm like I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry what we're gonna get what prop for who yeah. for when <laughs> it's just like once you work with a director you can normally like kind of you're just like okay I just gotta know that I have to eavesdrop on literally everything they say <laughs> I have become such a good eavesdropper. It's amazing. (laughs) And and I've had directors be like, oh yeah, so I had this conversation with this person. We need this. I'm like, yeah, got it. I already did it. (laughs) Just just be aware as a director that your stage manager is always listening. We are always (laughs) listening. (laughs) Even even if we're in the lobby, like I can guarantee that there's some speaker system on somewhere and I'm hearing it. I'll like well, say, directors on breaks sometimes just because I'm like, I know you're not actually taking the break. I know you're doing work with the leads right now. <laughs> when, when the director goes outside um, to have a, a, a break and a designer or two goes with them, I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, I need to be out there too. <laughs> oh, but I've also gotten really good about, they'll do the little, you know, whisper, whisper on stage and I'll just sit there, wait for, okay, we're getting back to rehearsal. I'm like, great. So what do I need to know about what you just said? (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, right, prop. And what's funny is sometimes the director will kind of be like, what, huh, what? And the actor's like, I'm going to need a chair. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yes, the actors know if they want it to actually happen, we need to hear about it. (laughs) I find sometimes I'm like, if you have something to say, say it to the whole class. (laughs) (laughs) 
I always just love those moments too, where like the directors are just talking about something in normal rehearsal, and you're like, oh, oh, you hear something and you write it down, and then like two five minutes later they turn to you, they're like, we're gonna aim. You're like, it's already on the list. Yeah. <laughs> right. You got it. Got it prepared. Like, you're I like, got I it. Got you. It's in the report. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> but then I also like and. So at the end of rehearsals, um, and again, some directors understand the importance of this process and some don't, I like to actually go through my notes to make sure that the things that I'm publishing out are actually things that the director wants to ask for, especially like when I'm asking for props or like specific set pieces. Was this just like jibber jabber or do you, is this an actual request? And so I like to go through it. And again, some directors are like, packing up and like leaving as I'm trying to like get this information out of them and some are like okay great it's my stage manager time I'm gonna have a sip of my tea and I'm going to sit here for 10 minutes and have a lovely conversation with a lovely person um, but that that mindset is definitely varies and it makes a huge difference um, and half the time I'll write down a note that was said and they're like what that was an idea <laughs> like yes it was Mm, no, that's a terrible idea. We're not doing that. <laughs> that's the Those other are thing. fun where it's like, wait, you mean the flying unicorn that somehow teleports? Oh, thank goodness. That's not real. Okay, good. Yeah, there have definitely been times where I've taken notes. So you said this. Yeah. And I'm going to need you to know. <laughs> no, we're not doing that. <laughs> I, I like to, I never say no to a director. I always am like, okay, so if you want this, these are the other things to take into account. Like it involves this, this, oh, this, yeah. this, and I just yep. overwhelm them and they're like, it's too much work. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I definitely explain it, but it's just like a, I'm going to, I'm going to put the kibosh on this <laughs> Line yeah, I've plane to, right I've, now. I've had to do that a lot when it involves fire in particular. <laughs> where they're like, oh, we want to do this thing. And I'm like, uh-huh. Um, so I'm gonna say no because I don't want the theater to burn down. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I've Sorry. had a couple of directors want to do fire and I'm like, all right, here are the things you need to do. And they're like, but that's like all the other shows. And I'm like, well, that's how we're gonna do it. We're a small theater company yeah. and this is how it works. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> catching people on fire is bad. Yes. 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 And also just it's everything costs money. Like then you need to involve a fire yeah. department. You need to involve things like if you, you I find like, I, and this is one of the things about directors is that they are looking at everything um, and can also struggle at looking at everything. Like they look at all of the ideas mm -hmm. and they look at the general picture and they look at specific moments, but the actual making it happen part isn't their job. And it's something that sometimes a stage manager is that logic point, um, which is exactly the way it should be. Directors should be able to just like be coming up with ideas and dreaming. And then there also needs to be the grounded person who brings it back to theater reality, um, which isn't always a fun job. <laughs> yeah, I guess that, that's the part that that's the part that can be heartbreaking. And I struggle with the shows where I have a director and designs team that are really up in the clouds. I mean, they're coming up with some amazing ideas, but when you're in a small black box theater, having something rise from the ground when your ground is a concrete floor, yeah. like that's reality is going to hit you at some point. And I think that's one of the more heartbreaking jobs of a stage manager is sometimes being that buzzkill that's like, yeah, this is a great idea and not remotely possible. Yeah, I always, <laughs> I always try to, ideas? <laughs> I always try to temper those with like a, we can't do that, but we can do this. Yes. <laughs> Which is 
sort of similar. And if I can't do that, then I'm like, do you want a cookie? (laughs) (laughs) It is making you feel better with a cookie. Um, Okay. We are almost out of time. So before we like wrap up, uh, give me your crazy stage manager, your craziest stage manager story, whether it's something you had to fix or something that you had to, I don't know. What's your craziest stage manager story? I can go first if you want. I just, the one that comes to mind is a super negative one. And I don't necessarily, like, it was just like, it was the worst opening night of my life. And I don't know if that if there was the space for it. It's not a great story. Anyways. I, like, I don't know if it, I have one that wasn't the craziest thing, but it's one of my favorites. And, I, like, all the credit goes to my assistant stage manager. But it was during a musical. And uh, we had these crates that were supposed to be put on stage uh, during one specific song. And so they got on stage, but about like partway through the song, while I'm sitting there calling like you, my assistant stage manager calls me and she's like, so we have a problem. We're supposed to close the main curtain after this song and there's a block directly in front of it, which is a problem. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, yeah, that's great. All right, let's go. Okay, so, (laughs) and then I was looking at it while calling cues and she's like, I have an idea. And I was like, go ahead. She's like, so you know that accordion player, the non-verbal one that just has had a couple walk-ons so far in the musical? And I was like, yeah, he's on stage right now and he wouldn't be able to do it. He's like, just so my assistant was like, what if I grab his costume and just waltz on stage in the big part of the song where everyone's there and just move it? And I was like, <laughs> okay, I like this plan. Do you have enough time? She says, yes. And so she goes sprinting to the back. She puts on like the this hat and like a coat that the accordion player is wearing and she has this accordion in her hands. And so when everyone comes like waltzing on the stage and it's just kind of like wandering around, like having a good time, like there was no set huge choreography moments. So she just came on stage, like playing this accordion, like waltzing in and then she just came and like got up to the block and like shoved it back a little bit, like while still holding an accordion and then just like backed off the stage (laughs) playing this fake accordion (laughs) and then left and we were in the clear to be able to close the main curtain. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) It was one of my favorite things that I've seen happen and I was laughing so hard and I was like, that was a brilliant decision and I'm so glad you came up with it. And after the show, everyone's like, I was wondering what you're going to do about that. I'm like, it was all Casey. She she got us on stage, but I will never forget that moment. (laughs) There's, I, there's so many stories like that. And the one I'll share is, it's not the craziest thing that ever happened to me, but it's like very similar to that. Um, It was drowsy chaperone. And, you know, there's that really fun uh, number for no reason where uh, the lead is blindfolded and has to roller skate. (laughs) why drowsy chaperone why so um the scene before uh someone's bracelet broke and there were beads all over the stage (laughs) and like the next thing that was supposed to happen was our lead roller skating on blindfolded and i just we had um an ensemble member tyler pardini i think all of you if not most of you know him um 
he had been my like he was in the ensemble and he he was like a servant and he'd been my backup for like a lot of things and i was just like immediately i was like someone get tyler with a broom send him <laughs> out there get him to sweep the stage as a servant he did it it was great everyone lived but like i saw that bracelet break and i was like cool cool roller skates blindfolds this is great <laughs> yep <laughs> I think mine, it's hard because I've, I've got a few where, you know, set pieces fell and things like that. And why is it always in the musicals? musicals. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. And costume pieces creating their own stories. But I think one of my favorites where it, it shows the importance of having some really awesome actors and as much as they need to trust you, you can actually also trust yeah. them as well. So um, it was this fantastic show, Wise Women. And the opening scene, the mom comes out and she's ironing. So since it's the opening scene, as part of my pre-show, I'd set up the ironing board. And, you know, had some other pre-show stuff as well. And it gets struck during the show and all that kind of stuff. Well, of course, there's the one performance where there was a bunch of other chaos happening pre-show and of all the things I forgot to do, I did not put the ironing board on stage. And of course I noticed it the moment I hit the button for the lights to come up and I just <laughs> kind of sat there staring at the empty stage going, Oh crap. How do I, how do I, Oh my gosh, how do I, how do I? And it was a small show. So not a lot of crew or anything like that. And I'm, trapped in the booth it's like ah the actor um rachel who was amazing did not skip a beat and took a little hanky out that she had on her costume that she uses later and just started dusting imaginary windows and basically replaced her ironing with some other cleaning that she was doing and carried on and just was like, great, everything's fine. And I think I was probably the only one who noticed the microsecond of a reaction she had when she walked out and was like, there's no ironing board. <laughs> and she is just, it, it, oh my gosh, I mean, talk about saving, saving my life. But afterwards, I really appreciated the fact that she was so gracious and so kind because of course, I mean, this happened, gosh, I'm looking at the poster. So this was 2005, so 15 years ago. And I still remember it and it still haunts me because it's like, oh my God, I screwed something up. And so of course I was apologizing and apologizing. She was like, it was fine. It was great. The audience loved it. It was fine. Like she had to actually console me. So I'm like, I'm so sorry. So I, I love the moments where, you know, life happens because we are human. And no matter how many checklists you have, things happen. Um, it's really nice to know that the actors can also have that empathy and understanding. Like, it's okay, we got you back. It's like, you shouldn't have to, but thank you. <laughs> Speaking of human error made me think of a fun story. <laughs> Not my horrifying <laughs> opening night one. <laughs> um, I, are, are we ready? Yeah. Okay, go. Um, yeah, so... It, this was the first show I ever stage managed, and it was, I think, to possibly to this day, the most tech-heavy show that I've ever stage managed. Um, it had a trap door involved. It had fly systems. It had a almost 
I think there was a fog machine, like pretty much any tech element that you could have, it had it in like a university show. Anyways, it was, it was a lot. So it was called Alex, Alice Remix, not Alex Remix. Um, and it was basically like Alice in Wonderland um, and through the looking glass combined. So there was a bit where they're, they're going into Wonderland and um, the rabbit basically was like running through it and she was moving set pieces. Like she opens a little door and like runs through the little door. And then there was this big window or door or something like that, that she was supposed to push up. So there's a lot of fly things happening and the fly operator, um, the next thing he had to do was he had to go operate the traps so I had it in my book to tell him when to leave. So there was no mistakes. But this night, he, I think it was, it was still in tech. So it was kind of not the end of the world, but he left his post early. Um, so I called the fly at like the fly out and he was already like off headset in the trap doors. So I, I'm like trying to get him back. And eventually my ASM goes and grabs him. He runs back up. And meanwhile, the actress is just kind of like popping a squat, like pretending that it's like a really heavy thing to lift. He, and, the, and then it's taking too long. So she just goes whoop and like bounces and carries on. He gets there and he's like, oh crap, like, I'm so sorry. Do you want me to do it right now? I'm like, no, hold, hold, hold it. Do not move it. We're going to do it in the blackout. And so I just continue. And meanwhile, this is a heavy tech thing. So I'm calling like 18,000 cues at once and trying to talk to this guy. So eventually we end up doing it like in the blackout and it just disappeared. And like the audience, I think it was a preview, maybe. Anyways, was, there was an audience there. Audience did not notice. But the director afterwards was like, so what happened and so we explained it's like oh he just left a little bit early and the director goes I like it keep it <laughs> so so I don't know there was something about like watching her struggle to open the window and then just bouncing that he really liked um and so yeah we kept it and it was that way throughout the entire run of the show <laughs> so many things and also that just reminds me like just the last thing I'll probably say is stage managers are pros at having 17 conversations at one time there's so many times where I'm just like, yeah, we'll do that Q15 go. And then we'll go over here and we'll do that Q16 standby. And then we'll like, <laughs> like all we do. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I just want to thank you ladies so much for joining us on this. This was really fun. And um, hopefully we can do something very similar soon again forever because I love, I love stage management talk. It's so great. <laughs> Um, so, so many stories. Yeah. And now, because no episode is complete without one, without further ado, I'll hand it off to our resident dramaturg, Dal Picado, for this episode's Bard Babble. As Hamlet says in Act 2, Scene 2, words, words, words. This episode's Bard Babble is elbow. I know what you're thinking, and of course, people had elbows before Shakespeare, and they called them elbows. However, that was the only form of the word at the time the noun describing the joint in the middle of your arm. Shakespeare first created this word as a verb, to elbow or to nudge. It first appears in King Lear when Kent says, a sovereign shame so elbows him, his own unkindness that stripped her from his benediction, turned her to foreign casualties, gave her dear rights to his dog-hearted daughters. These things sting his mind so venomously that burning shame detains him from Cordelia. So although one form of the word existed, Language had to wait 400 years until Shakespeare made it a verb. Shakespeare created over 400 words. This has been one of them. 
Thank you, Doll. Make sure to check out our upcoming Bard Talk with Doll on the first Black Shakespearean actor available on our Facebook page and for playback on our YouTube channel next month. And tune into ShakesPod on December 12th as we continue our theme of giving back with an inside look into Red Ladder Theater with company director Karen Altripiam and actor facilitator Tasia Alabastro as they share an amazing impact Red Ladder is making on our community with host Evelyn Wynn. From SVS to all of our wonderful listeners, thank you for joining us for this episode of ShakesPod.